Nobody wants to deal with the real issues. Nobody wants to deal with the idea that there's 75% fatherless homes in the black community. Nobody wants to deal with the violence that's black on black. And we go down the list of statistics and all of these different things. There's no merit to diversity for the sake of diversity. Nobody owes you anything. We're raising a generation of people who think that feelings are more important than facts, and it is going to be deadly, deadly. So folks, we better get it together real quick because what's coming is going to kill us all. It's going to kill us all. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Chad Pratha Show. We are in the cave, and uh, I was visiting with my mother the other day, and we were talking about the show. Um, and she said, you need to tell people a little bit about what's going on in your set. Like, there's little sentimental pieces here um, that some you can see, some you can't see. She said, you need to tell people about them, about, you know, what some of those things mean to you. And I was like, those people don't care about what's on the set. But then I was reading through some of the comments the other day, and you guys several times have asked about this uh, rifle that is over my uh, shoulder here. This is a 1968 Winchester 3030, to answer your questions. It belonged to my late grandfather. Uh, this is an heirloom that I have from him. I think it's the only heirloom that I have from him. Uh, and uh, like like some firearms, you know, the federal government just don't know they exist. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing about that 1968 Winchester 3030. My grandfather killed a lot of deer with that rifle, and uh, it was in the studio over there at the Blaze, and uh, it was over the fireplace underneath the, the buffalo head. Now it hangs here in the cave. Uh, this, uh, this Will Rogers statue right behind me that's illuminated by that light there, that would say uh, Remington. It was a gift given to me. A lot of people called me the modern-day Will Rogers. I've never held much into that. I don't, I don't think I could carry Will Rogers' jock strap. I don't know if Will Rogers wore a jock strap, but I don't think I could carry it. And so, uh, but somebody gave me that, and I've got a number of different things that the family of Will Rogers have given me and uh, honored me with those different things. And uh, what else have we got? Of course, you got the picture of me and CJ at Dosi Do performing on stage. We've got this deer. This was a cold buck that I killed down in South Texas. A beautiful, beautiful buck, uh, but just needed it was time for that old sucker to go. And uh, yeah, just some cool stuff that's around here. I got another Remington statue over here. And then a lot of people ask me about the painting right here, the horse. I painted that uh, in 2015. I've got a number of paintings, as you know, that I've done. That's a little abstract horse that I did in 2015. And then the most controversial piece, if you look over here, is, of course, the neon sign, which was on the old set at the Blaze. They said, Chad, we just don't want you to use some of the same branding that you used when you were on the Blaze. Um, so don't tell them, okay? I, I stole it. Uh, actually, I bought that, had it made. It's mine, but it does have some of their branding on there. But I like it, and I love the Blaze. I'm still a contributor over there with those guys, and it's a good relationship. So anyway, maybe they'll forgive me. I always say just get you know get forgiveness rather than permission. Uh, so I, I told you guys that I went and, and visited my mother. That was a wild story, and I want to get into that a little bit. I want to cover some of this stuff going on with air travel, specifically DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. I want to talk to you on that topic today, and we'll get over there to it. But first, um, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Patriot Mobile. They are America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. And when I say only, trust me, they are the only one. Patriot Mobile has been a great supporter of this show. I'm proud to partner with them for a long time now. They offer dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding the left. That's right. Every time you pay your cell phone bill— if you're with one of those three major networks, they send a portion of your bill to leftist causes. So when you switch to Mo Patriot Mobile, you're sending a message that you support a company that uh, shares your values of free speech and the Second Amendment, religious freedom, the sanctity of life. And they honor our military military and first responder heroes. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. You can keep your number, keep your phone or upgrade, and their team will help you find the best plan for your needs. You can call them on the phone if you want to talk to them at 972-PATRIOT or head over to patriotmobile.com slash Chad and you get free activation on your new service when you use promo code CHAD. I spell it Chad. That's right. Patriotmobile.com slash Chad. Use promo code Chad. Make the switch today and uh, believe in that parallel economy, folks. I believe in it. 
Uh, you know what? There's a, there's another sponsor here that I want to uh, I want to share with you guys. Um, this uh, I want to introduce a new partner to the show. This will probably be the first and last time we talk about them. Uh, a brand new supplement. This called white privilege. Uh, white privilege supplements. Um, I don't know if you know what it's like going through life with zero oppression. Uh, if you've ever noticed that nobody's following you through the store, uh, you know, one time I, I said I visited with my mother. I asked her about the time when she gave birth to me. She said it didn't even hurt. You know why? White privilege. Uh, when I rented my first apartment, they didn't run a credit check. In fact, they gave me my first month for free and they didn't worry about a pet deposit because they knew I probably wasn't going to have a pit bull because I'm white. Uh, the last time I got pulled over by a cop, they deputized me. Thank you, white privilege. I'm telling you, magical things happen when you take this supplement. Uh, when my uh, wife had our first child, I had the strange urge to stay with her and not leave. I actually wanted to provide for her. It was amazing what white privilege did. You know, look, I'm, I'm financially stable. I'm able-bodied, I'm a legal citizen, uh, and you combine that with being a heterosexual Christian male, Caucasian. Listen, folks, I discovered a while back I suffer from a condition known as uh, privileged prestigioso. That's right. It's like winning the lottery of life. So uh, I don't know if you're feeling guilty for being white. Uh, if you are, you need to take this new supplement, White Privilege. Listen, when I started taking it, I realized some things. I graduated the top 10% of my class. My first felony was free. Uh, my first girlfriend didn't mention the size of my penis, all thanks to white privilege. Uh, when my first marriage didn't work out, I just got to leave. I didn't have to go out to the store for cigarettes or anything. Side effects may include three-digit credit scores, admission to any country club, my church gets out before kickoff, and my pants fit at the waist. In random case studies, white privilege was found to be ineffective in people classified as white trash, trailer trash, redneck, hillbilly, blue-collar, hick, backwoods, Bumpkin country or even conservative white privilege is not effective in basketball games, foot races, vertical jumps, and should not be used during prolonged exposure to the sun as sunburns may increase in intensity. In intensity, in rare cases, white power, uh, white privilege. I'm sorry, may. Uh, turn mostly peaceful protests into insurrections. You never know what could happen with something like that. So be careful that your white privilege doesn't turn into white power. Uh, hey, if you want to feel like a boss, take white privilege. Uh, when you take it, you don't have to take shit. Hey, how about that? Oh, shy. I had to throw that one in there. Had to throw that one in there. A little white privilege for everybody. I'm sick of hearing it. Uh, everybody wants to tell you you got white privilege. I'm still trying to figure out how I redeem that white privilege uh, in my life. It doesn't quite work out that way. Uh, I've never had a bill forgiven. I've never had a debt taken away or anything else because of my skin color. Believe it or not, when I've been pulled over in the past, uh, I too, I too have had to deal with the trouble of law enforcement. Um, you say, well, you got away a whole lot easier. You don't have to worry about things. Oh, well, you know, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll tell you who has the privilege in this country. The people who have the privilege in this country are black women. We're learning that. We saw what happened with um, Claudine Gay, who was the president of Harvard. Uh, I don't know if she was the first woman Ivy League president. I don't know if she was the first black woman, but she was a first. Okay, she was one of those. She might have just been the first at Harvard. I don't. I don't read the news that closely anymore. I don't have to. But uh, she testified before Congress, her and a couple of her colleagues from other Ivy League schools, and they kind of got called on the carpet and trashed and just really dragged on social media because of their stance that was anti-Israel uh, and very pro-Palestine in regards to the protesters who were there on campus shouting basically death to Israel because that's what it is when you say from the river to the sea. Uh, they it to totally intend to wipe out the Jewish people uh, there in Israel. So uh, she had some pretty lame comebacks on that. And then they discovered that she plagiarized a lot of things and she wound up having to step down as the president of Harvard. Now, the privilege comes in where she did not lose her job. Now, yes, yeah, she lost her title. She's still a professor at Harvard. They removed, I think, $100,000 of her salary, but she's still making between eight and $900,000 a year. I mean, dadgum. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's insane. So there's no real stiff penalty. Uh, and then, of course, there were those on social media who were calling out for demanding, I should say, that Harvard must replace the president, uh, Claudine Gay, with another black woman. I saw where John Hopkins University came out with a list of def definitions for privilege. John Hopkins, I mean, that's a pretty major institution there. Uh, but their head of DEI, who was a black woman, 
She said, listen, if you're able-bodied, if you're middle-aged, if you're white, if you're, uh, if you're heterosexual, all down the line, those, those things went. She said, you are an example of privilege, and basically the institution needs to be on the lookout for these people. There's no ramifications for what she said. Now, I think she, you know, popped off with some little half-ass apology. But again, I think if she had the opportunity, she would send that out again, because again, now we have Fortune 500 companies, the majority of which now have DEI offices, or they have executive C-level positions, which are, um, you know, uh, chief diversity officers and the like. These are people who sit around in their office and try to figure out what is happening in the building that could possibly be racist. So, when you're a black woman, you can't call them out on the basis of being a woman because that's misogyny, and you can't call them out on the basis of being black because, again, you're going to be labeled as a racist. So they can literally say anything. Uh, uh, Fannie Willis, who is the uh, district attorney there in Georgia, who, of course, brought the case against Donald Trump, uh, was caught just recently on a Sunday morning in a church saying, you know, you have to give some grace to us black people, particularly black women, because we stumble and we fail and we fall. What was her sin? What was she talking about? Well, she had given her um, her lover uh, that she was having an affair with a job that paid about $600,000 a year, and he was taking her on expensive vacations using... <laughs> The taxpayer-funded salary which she had appointed for him. She got caught. She got busted. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but for most of us that don't have that kind of privilege, that's illegal. That's illegal. So while she was pointing her prosecutorial fingers at Donald Trump, she got caught with her hand in the proverbial cookie jar. And now we'll see what the ramifications and consequences will be. Maybe there will be some by the time this, uh, this episode airs, but I'm not holding my breath a whole lot. Uh, but she was there at church talking about how, you know, we stumble and you got to extend more grace to black women because I guess they're up against a lot more. Well, yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I want to know how much of that grace you extended towards people that you prosecuted that broke the law over the years. I have a feeling that it probably wasn't a whole lot. Now, um, we can use, for an example, somebody like Vice President Kamala Harris, who I don't think she's black. I think she's part Jamaican. She's part... Uh, Indian, Southeast Asian. I don't know what hodgepodge of of colors and genetics are in her. In her, and I honestly, I've never done the research on it because I honestly don't care about the melanin of your skin. But um, here's a woman who uh, not only got her job because she was female and a woman of color, which is exactly the words that Joe Biden used, a female that is a person of color. That is who he said was going to be as vice president. She got that nod. Um, and then she wants to come out. And if you remember when she was when she was an attorney, prosecuting attorney in California, man, she sent record numbers of black men up the river into jail over things like marijuana use, marijuana sales, marijuana possession, incredible. Um, which you can't convince me that Kamala herself isn't high as a kite all the time. So <laughs> she gets a free pass on all of these things. She gets to come out and, and, and talk about how, uh, you know, people of color have been oppressed for so long. Well, she's a living example of privilege. She got her position ultimately well. We know how she got climb the ranks of becoming where she is politically. We don't have to go into the sordid details of that. But when she went to school, she was a product of affirmative action. Uh, and it's so how many people out there in America have gotten to where they are because of, well, let's say it, black privilege, black privilege. So that's why I say this is a dangerous thing. This is a dangerous thing. There'll be those who watch this episode or see clips from this episode and they'll say, Chad, that's racist. No, the racism is the other way. And, and I'm really tired of people saying that racism cannot exist among the minority group. Listen, I, I've spent time overseas. I've spent a lot of time in, in West Africa specifically. I've been in places, regions of the world where for extended periods of time, I was the only white person within, I don't know, geographical large swaths of land and population. I'd be the only white person there. So I understand what it's like to be, to feel alone and isolated on the basis of your skin color. And 
but again, if if you are holding something against someone simply on the basis of their skin color, that's racism. Just like words like misogyny are overused. That is hatred for women. Most people, if you ask them what the definition of misogyny is or a misogynist, they wouldn't know how to define that word for you. It would be embarrassing for them. It simply means you hate women. Trust me when I tell you, I do not hate women. Shy, trust me when I tell you, buddy. I don't. I don't hate women. Um, <laughs> I watched the funniest clip this morning of these two women. It was a mother and daughter trying to figure out how to put jumper cables between their two automobiles in the snow and ice, and they were scared. They didn't know how to do it, and every time they would put it to the poles, put the to the, the the clamp to the pole, it would spark a little bit. And of course, the one the daughter was crying. The mother was standing further and further back. She was giving encouraging words. Just do it. Just do it. And of course, the daughter was crying. Uh, and, and I thought, man, this would be a perfect time for a little mansplaining, some of that toxic masculinity to step in there and say, here, just let me do it. Just, And I'm sure they would have been happy for a man to step in there and do that. But again, we can't talk about things like that because that's borderline misogyny. No, it's not. It's just common sense. But back to this concept of racism, to hate someone, and, and I have to think that, that the, the, the population of people, the demographic of people who would truly espouse the idea that they hate someone on the basis of the color of their skin, something that makes up 0.0000001% of your DNA, your genetic makeup. It's it's literally nothing. It's pigmentation. Someone who's going to do that on the basis of skin color, uh, it's horrible that anybody would think that way or believe that way or act that way. But I think it's few and far between you're going to find anybody like that. Now, what you have is a system of thought uh, a system of government and politics, which have continued to, and I will say also a system of policy, as well as narrative, which have driven a certain agenda out there that have caused this to be on the tip of our tongue all the time and to walk on eggshells, quite literally. Um, and, and we have to add an addendum and a qualification to every single thing that we say, or we might get that, oh, that horrible label of something. But again, what I see these days is more people on the other side who, and when I say the other side, I'm talking about particularly the progressive liberal side of things, who have consistently used this certain vernacular, this certain, uh, 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 this, this certain way of looking at the world and the vocabulary that comes with it. And they have these go-to buzzwords, and one of them is racist. I get called horrible things on social media. I mean, horrible things. Uh, you know, the the F.U. white cracker, all this kind of stuff that's out there. It's like, I don't know what I did to warrant that. I, I mean, I'm just telling you that I care about you. And I'm, I tell you that this system that you're embracing, things like DEI, things like social justice, things like progressive liberalism, uh, things like affirmative action, they're detrimental to you. They're detrimental to your future. They're detrimental to the generations to come in your family. They're detrimental to your community, and they're dangerous. Now, if that makes me a racist, I, I honestly think it's more because I care about you and I love you, and I can see the handwriting on the wall, and I can prove that to you, and I'm going to do that in just a minute. Uh, before we go any further, let me remind you guys that traditional media is crumbling, uh, and it is because they're hiding something, and it's something big. People are realizing that they're being lied to left and right, even by institutions they thought they could trust. You can't trust the media anymore. If you trust the media, you're insane. Listen, you can see through their lies. You know the truth. It's crumbling. So if something big is coming and they're not telling you about it, like why in the world is Mark Zuckerberg building bunkers that are you know, multi-billion dollars, these billionaires out there building all these bunkers, what in the world is coming? Is there some black swan event that they don't want us to know about? I would say it's time for you to get prepared too. You're probably not a multi-billionaire. I'm assuming if you're listening to this show, you're not. Um, but you can prepare if you go over to my website, preparewithchad.com. I'll save you $200 on an essential three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. Uh, they have helped millions of American families prepare for emergencies. They're the nation's largest emergency preparedness company. And uh, that means they've got some stuff available for you right now. 
And if you get the uh, the three-month food kit, you'll get delicious meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinners, and they store for 25 years in the right type of storage. And you get 2,000 calories a day. You need a kit for every member of your family. And uh, you can eat right when things go wrong with a three-month emergency food kit. Go to preparewithchad.com. If you order by 3 p.m. any day, it will ship the same day, and it'll show up fast and discreet at your doorstep. That's preparewithchad.com. Um, everywhere you turn now, is uh, just DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. There, there, there's, there's no merit to diversity for the sake of diversity. That's a controversial statement to say. There, there is nothing that says, hey, I, I am going to hire somebody based on their skin color or their sexual orientation or their gender or whatever that may be. There's no merit to those things. We should be hiring people. We should be giving people acceptance into institutions of higher learning. Uh, We should be doing it to the most qualified person. But we're living in a we're living in a participation trophy society. And I've had people who have gotten very, very upset with me over the years on this topic because I've had professional athletes who supported me heavily when I've been outspoken about participation trophies because they understand what it takes to make the team and to to be a champion and to accomplish something. But we've started giving the blue ribbon to everybody that signs up. And I've said over and over again that that is bad for our culture because now everybody thinks that they deserve something. And now we have something like DEI, which I think are are mental food stamps for people who are incapable of doing a job. That's all it is. You're just writing checks that should never exist to make people feel good about their position in life. And you have folks that are out there who have this manufactured sense of guilt that, uh, that oh, we have all of this white privilege and therefore, oh, Uh, We got to really make sure that everybody has the same opportunity. Well, I contend that everybody does have the same opportunity. I would say that everybody does. Listen, it would stand to reason, and I've said this to you before, that, that if a person can start with everything, let's say they start with a silver spoon in their mouth, okay? And that person is grows up in a lap of luxury. They're given everything, but then they make certain decisions that lead them to bankruptcy or to lead them to homelessness. They're destitute. And it's all because of their mindset. It's all because of their decisions that they made. If that person could start with everything and wind up with nothing, then it stands to reason that the exact opposite can be true as well. If a person starts with nothing, with, with the opportunities that they are given— If they have the right mindset and they have the right decisions made, I believe they can have everything. So if you can lose everything, you can gain everything. Uh, And I think that this country, which is the greatest human experiment that has ever existed in the history of man, this country provides us with a lot of opportunities. I'm not telling you you don't have some obstacles. I'm not telling you don't have some things to overcome. But everybody is born with the world dead set against them. We have things that are falling apart around us. I'm not, I have no say in what day and age or era or time in which I'm born. I, I don't have any say. I could be born in the middle of a war. I could be born, born in the middle of a, a famine, a blight, uh, anything. I have no say in that deal. I have to overcome the circumstances in which I live. That's one of the reasons why revisionist history is garbage. And we try to paint all of these people throughout history as horrible human beings because of the things they did. But we are doing it on the basis of judging them by the standards which we live by today. You can't do that. You have to judge a man or a woman based on the circumstances in which they lived. Okay? Because, again, they couldn't control those things. Whatever was the dominating thought of the day, whatever was the uh, prevailing ideology of the day, that's what they knew. That's what they were taught. I mean, you know, there were there were people who thought that the sun revolved around the earth for a long time. And there were people who were killed over believing a heliocentric doctrine that said the earth revolves around the sun instead. They, they literally were named heretics and killed for that. Uh People, people, they're not, they're born in the time in which they're born. 
And then revisionist history comes in and tries to tell you that, oh, no, that doesn't count. None of that stuff matters. I mean, don't you know that, for instance, the South in the United States in 1863 was evil because of slavery? Well, so was the North because of slavery. You don't forget that Abraham Lincoln, that great savior, who, by the way, had nothing to do with the abolishment of slavery. That was uh, that was an amendment that was done in Congress. Abraham Lincoln, who was that great emancipator, um, also said that he would if he could save the union, he would abolish slavery. But if he could also save the union, he would that everybody could own slaves. He said those things. Okay. Uh, I can't tell you how many times they've they've uncovered slave graveyards in Manhattan. Um, People look at a guy like Robert E. Lee. That's, by the way, up north, for those of you who are doing the geography. Um, Robert E. Lee, they try to vilify a guy like that who was one of the greatest Americans that have ever lived. I mean, he was was an incredible military mind, and he was a great moral thinker as well. People say, oh, how can you say those things? He... He was the general of the armies of the South. He was a Confederate general. Uh, well, you got to understand, he was a Virginian. And in those days and that, that day and age, people were far more loyal to their state as they understood it than they were to the nation. See, again, uh, the Civil War changed a lot of our thinking. It made us very nation-centric. We used to be very state-centric. We were much more interested in the state government, state loyalty than we were about federal government. So Robert E. Lee couldn't see himself fighting against his home state of Virginia, and that's what he did. He didn't make a decision based on slavery and slave owners. That wasn't the decision that was made. A lot of that stuff was understood. So now we're looking at this stuff and going, a lot of times we're looking at this stuff and we're revising history to fit to fit the narratives of today to make sure that everybody gets what they so-called deserved. Now, I got to take a breath here because, again, there's those out there who are pushing for things like reparations. And, you know, uh, listen, I'll tell you who should be paying the reparations. It should be the Democratic Party. They're the ones who founded Things like the KKK and Jim Crow, um, the the progressive movement, they do owe some reparations. They're the ones who did it. They're the ones who consistently and continually, even to this day, are holding the black community down. They're holding the black community down. How so? Well, they you know they they kept them. Uh, they ran the experiment on them. As uh, my friend Jason Whitlock said, he said, leftists recognized that beginning in the 1960s, they conducted a political version of the Tuskegee experiment. They introduced a mind virus to the black community. They removed legitimate religious faith and established themselves as the god of black people and controllers of black destiny. Diversity, equity, inclusion is the reparations they concocted to pacify their black worshipers. Now, remember, these words are written by a black man, Jason Whitlock. He said, rather than acknowledge the catastrophic consequences of the matriarchal culture they imposed on black Americans, progressives invented a system of rewards they can hand out to their most ardent supporters. DEI allows progressives to sleep comfortably knowing the strategy they sold black people decimated black families, children, and neighborhoods in ways that slavery and segregation could not. So here we are. You got white folks out there looking at what these policies cost and say, well, At least we lowered the standards enough that a few of the people we cripple can sneak through the cracks if they obey us. And we're seeing that happen. You know, Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks, you know, he came out, made a fool out of himself on X and talking in favor of DEI. Again, dude, you're an NBA owner. 80% of the players in the NBA are what color? That's right. (laughs) That's right. I would say that they're pretty... um, I'd say they're pretty equitable in terms of their favor towards black people. Now, he's not going to put a, a, you know, a, a short Chinese man on the team. He's not going to do that. He's not, he's not that far into DEI. Um, but you have, you have, uh, <laughs> you know, I've said it before. I think you could have, if you got five guys on the, on the court, you could have a seven footer, a six footer, a five footer, a four footer. I mean, you just, you could have a little, little person on there too. It, it just, let's make it diverse. You know, we put shy on there. Shy's not short, but he is Singaporean. And I don't know his basketball skills may fa- be fantastic. I know mine are not. I can't even run anymore. I'm sore all over. Let me tell you my DEI story from, from just yesterday. Um, we got up three o'clock in the morning to get to the airport. We had to fly out super early, get on an airplane. The airplane is freezing cold. They had not de-iced the outside of it. Um, and we're sitting there. The sun is not come up. It's dark. We're freezing. 
sitting there in the seats. The, the pilot comes on and says, okay, we've got to de-ice the plane. He said, they'll be done in about 15 minutes. Uh, 45 minutes later, with no announcement, they're starting to de-ice the plane. Uh, and then we're an hour late. We're, we get into Atlanta. We have to run. I don't run. I can't run. I, you know, I've got bad ankles and all this stuff. I, I'm struggling to get... I mean, we showed up five minutes after the plane was supposed to depart. Fortunately, we were able to make it on there. Um, bags are lost. It, it, it's just ridiculous that we had to wait the way that we did. And just the sheer lack of common courtesy. Now, I'm not blaming any of that on DEI. But I am saying that uh, something that I've always loved to do, like, for instance, uh, get on an airplane and go somewhere in the world. I, I've just always loved that. Those of you who know me know that even when I was a kid, man, I'd see an airplane in the sky and I just kind of have that little feeling in my soul where I was like, I don't know where that plane's going, but I'd like to go. And I've been, a, you know, I'm a traveler. I travel 250,000 miles a year in the air. Historically, I do a lot of stuff. But now the airlines have gone to crap. I mean, we're at a point now where I can't get on a plane without a maintenance issue. The flight was delayed going to my destination last week uh, by an hour because of a maintenance issue that they had going on. I've yet to fly on United in the last year that there was not some form of a maintenance issue or a delay. I just go ahead and count it into my schedule at this point. I I have to fly this week to Nashville, Tennessee. I have to be there on Thursday morning. And guess what? I know what's going to happen. So I'm flying in the day before because I know it's going to be a delay. I know there's going to be a delay. If I'm trying to get somewhere to do a live show somewhere, I'm, I'm now flying in a day in advance. So what that's doing for me, since the quality of air travel has gone so far down, I'm just, I'm just going to quit traveling by air. I'm going to stop booking things that I have to do that require air travel. Just not going to do it. If I can't drive it, I just won't go. Um, I had to fly this weekend, had to go speak at a funeral. My uncle passed away, had to go speak at his funeral. And like I said, I visited with my mother. And it's just, you just head into the whole thing with dread. Now, my white privilege has not managed to help me escape any of that stuff. Nobody's tossing a private jet or a helicopter in my direction saying, oh, use it at your, you're a white guy, just use it whenever you want to use it. Nobody's doing anything like that. But you got um, United Airlines, which I think... Uh, on January 5th, one of their flights coming into Houston literally bounced into the runway. Uh, the, it wrecked the plane, totaled the plane, uh, it, <laughs> bent the thing almost in half as it bounced twice. Uh, then there was the uh, Alaska Airlines flight, which the door came off. And we've talked about that already on the show. Um, and then, but what's funny is then they came out, they showed the group that was responsible for the engineering, the design and the operation of that airplane. And these women made sort of like a TikTok video where it's like Shania Twain's come on girl, let's go girls, you know? And, uh, I feel like a woman and they're walking out with their little swagger and stuff at this, I don't know, convention. And so they come out there and it's this team of women, the team of women, were the DEI people who were in charge of designing and working on this 737, Boeing 737 MAX 9, the one that's been having all the problems. Now they're all grounded. And you say, Chad, it's so much misogynistic. It's not misogynistic. It's a freaking fact. It was a team of women that built the thing. And now you think that's bad? You think that's bad? Oh, it gets worse, folks. It gets absolutely worse. Um, they did an interview with, uh, oh, and by the way, by the way, the 737 Maxes, they've now grounded all of them. All of them. Um, the CEO of United, United Airlines, Scott Kirby, uh, he, uh, he did a couple of different little interviews out there where he says, we're going to make sure that there are people of color and there are women in every interview process. And he goes on to talk about, um, and perhaps we can insert that clip. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviator Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. 
white males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. Correct me if I'm saying though. So I, this was just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, but, you know, in corporate America, I think, you know. That's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is, you know, focusing on it. We have uh, programs to, one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process, bringing people in early in their careers um, as well uh, and giving them those opportunities uh, and creating a stronger band. He, he says, um, we're going to make sure that the majority of the people that we're hiring here are going to be people of color. They're going to be people of diversity. Oh, and Scott Kirby uh, the CEO of United, he's a drag queen. He's a drag queen. So, of course, that's what we're going to get from somebody who, who does something like that. I mean, it's sort of like having a secretary of transportation who's gay, like Pete Buttigieg, who's going to, you know, listen, it, it, the, the, your, the way you live your life, the way you have your convictions is going to spill out in the way you do your work, okay? So that's why this so much stuff is happening with the FAA. And the FAA... Uh, the FAA now has a diversity push that includes focusing on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. You what? You can't make this up at this point. The FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. I posted this on X the other day and somebody said, Chad, why are you trying to connect the government and private companies? I said, the FAA is not a private company, moron. The FAA is under the Department of Transportation, which is directly under the Secretary of Transportation, which is Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg sucks. He's horrible. He was a horrible mayor. He never did anything. He was a diversity hire. They hired a gay man. If you look across the Biden administration, it's all of these different wackos out there who have all these different lifestyle choices. The only thing they're lacking is something called qualifications. They have no idea how to do their job. So now the FAA, in their diversity push, is now going to focus on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. Now, those of you who know me know that I could go off real hard right now and, and really rant on this topic and say some really rude things. Shy doesn't know me well enough yet to know that I have a super good heart, but some things just really rub me the wrong way. Like they're, they're literally going to, they're going to take people where, where are they going to take them from? The psychiatric home, they're going to take them out of the ward and say, we're going to give you a job making sure that the PSI is right on the airplane tires. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to be in charge of booking. You're going to handle the luggage. We're going to take people with severe intellectual disabilities. There's a word for that. There's a word for that. What they're doing is quite literally retarded. People say, I don't like that word. I don't care. I don't care. It's a, it's a legitimate word in this case. They are retarding any level of common sense and intelligence at this point. This is stupid. Severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. Here's another one. Over the next decade, United Airlines will train 5,000 pilots who will be guaranteed a job with United after they complete the requirements of the Aviate program. And our plan is for half of them to be women and people of color. That's what Scott Kirby, the drag queen, had to say. He's the CEO. They're going to train, train, I say that, uh, you know, in quotations, 5,000, again, in quotations, pilots. They're going to be guaranteed a job. Doesn't matter if they can, you know, fly the simulator or not. They're guaranteed a job. 5,000 of them. Half of them are going to be women and people of color. Why? Why? Why, why are we at this point in the world where this is what we're dealing with? New York Post came out with an article last week. Why airplane crashes are now safer than ever. <laughs> First of all. I know what they were talking about. They were talking about the two planes that collided in Japan and the flight attendants uh, definitely were able to get the passengers off and nobody died. I understand. <laughs> First of all, that's not that's a collision. That's not a crash. 
Uh, yes, there was a fire. Yes, it incinerated the plane. But they actually have a picture of the airplane burned up, consumed by fire on the tarmac, while airplane crashes are now safer than ever. Oh, and by the way, the New York Post, their headline is grammatically incorrect. I'm just going to give it to you. Why airplanes crashes are now safer than ever. Why airplanes crashes. Whoever wrote that, Mike Avia, oh, must be a DEI hire, <laughs> can't even speak good common English at this stage in the game. Um, airplane crashes are now safer than ever. That's a dumb headline. That's a dumb concept. Uh, yeah, okay, I understand that that people are saying, well, it's you know, it's perfectly fine to get on an airplane right now. You don't have anything to worry about. Well, when the doors are blowing off and they're totaling the airplanes when they land in Houston or they're colliding with one another and incinerating. Uh, when I like, I prefer, I, you know, I guess we're going to call them mostly peaceful crashes. Now I, I prefer them just to not crash. And the thing that will keep the airplane from not crashing is having the most qualified person. I don't care if you're black, orange, purple, green, got one eye in the middle of your forehead. I don't give a rat's ass how you paint your nails. As long as you know how to freaking fly the airplane. I told you about the air, air traffic controller who's having an argument with the pilot coming in. And she says, well, I just Googled about this landing. No, 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 no. I went to, um, I went by a fast food restaurant uh, the other day. I was going to get a cup of coffee and a biscuit because it was early in the morning. And uh, you know how I am with this, with the fast food and the, and the service industry, all of this kind of stuff, because it's gone to pure crap ever since COVID hit. Ever since the pandemic shut us down, nobody wants to work. And the people who do work are worthless. They're absolutely useless. They just sit out there demanding $15 an hour for minimum wage. Uh, I could barely get the girls working in both the speaker, whatever, the little box that you drive up to. And then the window, I could barely get them to communicate, much less listen to what I was telling them that I wanted. I had to tell them three times. And then, uh, then I don't, gosh, I wish, I wish they could see China. I don't, I don't know if they could see this pathetic excuse of a biscuit. This, this looks like, um, this, this literally looked like they sat on it. Now, normally this place has a big biscuit, like a big, big, you know, bacon, egg and cheese. Oh, just kind of stuff that grandma might've made. I took this thing out of the bag. It, it looked like it had soggy bacon. It had dry powdered eggs and the biscuit was paper thin. It was like a pancake. It's like they sat on it before they brought it out there to me. Now, again, I'm not so worried about the biscuit as much as I am United Airlines and when I'm in a, you know, metal tube at 35,000 feet in the air. Oh, but um, it, it trickles all the way down to every piece of our society, folks. Whenever people are given a participation trophy or a certificate of merit or a position or something without meeting certain requirements, the results are going to be deadly. The FAA's job is to make sure that when you get on an airplane, that it is safe, that the entire experience is going to be safe, that no matter what you go through, you're going to land safely. You're going to tell me that you're, one of your pushes is to hire severely intellectual people with severe intellectual disabilities, psychiatric problems, and other mental conditions. And that's all part of your diversity, inclusion, and equity hiring plan. Mm -mm. Uh, um, and by the way, diversity, inclusion, equity, that spells D-I-E, which is more likely what you're going to do over D-E-I. D-I-E, you're going to die because that's where we're headed at this point. So some of you might need to go back to that thing that offended you at the beginning of this episode when I was reading about white privilege <laughs> and be like, oh, that's where he was going with all of that. Because guess what? When the plane crashes, there, there's no special seat for the white people that make sure that we get to survive the crash. I don't know if you know that or not. I mean, we're sitting arm in arm with each other, you know, breathing each other's filthy air through a HEPA filter. But here we are. Um, Here's here's another thing. My buddy Robbie Starbuck, he found a, a, a communication from the heads of Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines is now asking their employees to capitalize black and brown in their communications, but write white in lowercase. That, folks, is what they call racism. That's what they call racism. Uh, oh, but listen, nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything. 
No one can make up for atrocities that were done in the past. Nobody can make up for the things that were done in our history that will satisfy you. And by the way, you can't prove who did it and who didn't do it. You know, if, if, the, if the very tiny percentage of Southern people that owned slaves in the 1800s, it, you going to go find those people? Because I don't think you can prove it. I can tell you who didn't own slaves because I know my family history, and that's right here. So you're barking up the wrong tree with uh, with my poor crew from South Mississippi, which is where my grandfather came up. I mean, you you I know his story. I know his history. I've read a lot of it as far as my uh, genealogy. And let me tell you, none of that. I know where my maternal grandfather came and came from in Louisa, Virginia. I've been to that farmland. I've been where he grew up. And let me tell you, they weren't running any slave operations. That's a fact. That's a fact. So where are you going to get your, where are, you, where are they going to make up for? I, I mean, I've said this before in, in you know, years gone by. I've said uh, nobody wants to deal with the real issues. Nobody wants to deal with the idea that there's 75% fatherless homes in the black community. Nobody wants to deal with the, with the, the violence that's black on black. And we go down the list and statistics and all of these different things. But rather, the people out there with the voice, the big platforms, the mainstream media, the politicians, those who are directing policy, those who are controlling society and culture, all those people, they want to make sure that you continue hating each other and they sit by and they profit from it. They profit from it. And then you have the race baiters out there that are continuing to do that as well. Now, me, I'm not afraid to have this conversation. I'm willing to take it on because I care about you. I care about our country. I care about our society. And you know what? I, I, again, I grew up an athlete. We, we didn't, things like skin color, we didn't worry about that. Our deal was, could you play shortstop? Could you play shortstop? Because we didn't care what color your skin was. We wanted to make sure the best person was on the field. That's what we wanted. That's what we cared about. And that's what mattered. Because you know why? We wanted to win games. That's the problem in America these days. Nobody wants to win games anymore. Nobody wants to win anymore. We, we've forgotten American exceptionalism. We don't want to be the first. We want to be somewhere in the middle, just kind of, you know, just kind of some kind of schmutch out there on the global scale. Bring us down. And that's why this globalist agenda that's out there, you talk about nationalism, you're called a racist. If you talk about if you talk about exceptionalism, you're called an extremist. You know, if you fight for, for real justice out there, you're called everything from an insurrectionist to a seditious traitor. It's garbage, man. They're controlling us with rhetoric, and that crap's got to stop. I'm here for this fight. You're here for this fight. And I'm not going to shy away from it because somebody gets their fee-fees hurt and wants to make sure that everybody uses the political correct language. I'm unapologetic in regards to being non-politically correct. I don't care about your feelings in regards to this. We're raising a generation of people who think that feelings are more important than facts, and it is going to be deadly, 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 because those who come here and put their boots on the ground, and I believe a lot of them are already here thanks to our wonderful open southern border policy. I, 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 think, that, uh, I think that when they get here, I promise you, they're not coming with DEI in, in their mindset. And they don't care who you voted for. They don't care what district you live in. They don't care if you come from the mean streets or the hills of Beverly. They don't care if you come from an oil tycoon or your daddy was a gangbanger. They don't give a shit about any of that stuff. They will kill you just as easily because you represent something bigger, and that is this great evil America. So, folks, we better get it together real quick because what's coming is going to kill us all. It's going to kill us all. All right. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right, guys, listen, February 1st, I'm going to be in Memphis, Tennessee, Lafayette's Music Room. Then on February 2nd, we're in Van Buren, Arkansas at the Opera House right there. And then on the 3rd, we're going to be in Shreveport, Louisiana. And so I'd love for you to come hang out with us. we got a lot of shows coming up. I'll be here in Spring, Texas at Dosey Do on the 16th in Fredericksburg. That's going to be our first band show with the Ragamuffins. We'll be back out there at the Rockbox Theater, Fredericksburg, Texas, February 17th. Tons more dates coming. I don't want to fly to any of them, and I'm planning on not flying to any of them. You can go to chadprather.com or go to watchchad.com. That's where all the fun stuff is. It all shows up in the same place. Guys, we're climbing the charts here um, with this show. We're getting back. It's vanity. I understand. It's funny that I've had a lot of people who have commented, uh, and most people, they give us some kudos for the show. They like the show. Um, they, they love what we're putting together here. 
And got to give a shout out to Shy. We're going to get him on the show at some point in time. We get all the glitches and the kinks and the buttons that are pushed and stuff like that. We'll get him on here so he won't be the unseen Singaporean anymore. <laughs> Shy's a good dude. He's so talented. And uh, you can actually follow him on uh, on social media. Instagram is Shider Davina, right? So S-H-A-I-D-E-R-D-I-V-I-N-A, Shider Davina, at Shider Davina. Follow him. He's an incredible artist over in a lot of different ways um, over on Instagram. Give him a follow over there. You'll be glad you did. And a shout out to everybody who's making this show possible, man. To, uh, they're doing a phenomenal job. But, you know, we get some people to say, well, you know, it's kind of some long-winded preaching. You know, kind of some of this long, one guy called it long, ponderous preaching. And I was like, well, maybe you need some long, ponderous preaching. Maybe that's what you need in your life at this stage in the game. I don't know. Uh, there are people who are like, well, maybe maybe you just need to change the way you're doing everything. We're, we're not going to, okay? We're working it out. We're figuring it out. And I promise you, you're going to be glad that you said you were here whenever we decided to take this thing on an independent journey because it's going to the top in a big way. We've got a ton of really cool guests lined up, uh, some familiar faces that you know, as well as some that you have not had an opportunity to visit with. A lot of this stuff that we're talking about with DEI, a lot of this research comes from my friend Chaya Reishik with Libs of TikTok. She's agreed to come on the show. We're going to have an extended conversation with her. We're just getting everything set up where we can stream them in and have that conversation. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about um, my new song that's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called Famous Again. Of course, you know, with my record label, Based Records, over in Nashville. And so Famous Again, it is a country song, dude. I mean, you're going to love it. It's it's a chart topper. And I can't wait for that thing to come out in a couple of weeks. I'm excited about it. And uh, go over to 76forever.com and do a little shopping with our apparel company and check out what they've got. And uh, please leave us a rating and a review. Five stars is what we deserve. But leave us a rate. Leave us a review. You know, there were a couple of people who went in there and they tried to be a smart ass and they left us a one star review. I'm like, we're not the Dallas Cowboys here. We're not the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but I hope you know that when you leave the negative reviews, they still help our rankings. It still tells the algorithm that you're listening. Uh, make sure that you're listening to us where podcasts are offered, whether that's Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever. And if you're watching the show, I know you don't like them, but I need you to go over and check into my channel on YouTube every now and then and just see what's going on there because that's the way they count the rankings. That's the way they count the ratings. So check it out over on YouTube as much as you hate it. Just bite your teeth and just, uh, just go do it, okay? All right, I'm out of things to tell you. There's a lot more that I could, but I'm out of time. So just know that I love you guys, and we will see you next time. God bless you. Bye. <laughs>